Good morning, Jim and Robin. It is Jamie Price. I'm、uh, reporting to you from Shanghai, China, outside of the Ferrari Hit Garage.、Um, they've、uh, started warming up the engines. It is Sunday morning, about 12 o'clock. We've got a couple hours till the race, and、uh, I'll just walk away from this.、Uh, This engine,、um, Jim, it's probably a good thing that they're a hell of a lot quieter than they used to be. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to hear anything that I'm saying right now. But as it turns out,、uh, these engines are much quieter. But we've beaten that dead horse a few times, so we won't even go there. Yes, but thanks to the modern efficiency of Formula One, we can hear what you're saying, Jamie. So thank you very much for introducing <laughs> the show. There, this is of course episode 152 of the Fun with Cars podcast.、Oh. I am Jim Lau. I am Rob Warner. We're here to cover the Chinese Grand Prix out of Shanghai, China. Not the coverage of the Silverstone six hours、uh, from World Endurance Championship. That's another show. Which you know, for some people, you know, that might be the preferred thing to do. And that is, in fact,、uh, where some usual F1 folks are. Crazy enough as it is.、Um, anyway,、uh, big thanks to Jamie Price. Jamie was in China, and、uh, we're going to hear from him a little bit more later on,、um, mostly because he's awesome. But anyway, we did have a race. It did happen, and、uh, a lot of cool things happened. Directly resulted from the race, right? Directly resulted from the race. <laughs> so it's it's definitely getting to that you know Hamilton slash Mercedes, but mostly Hamilton level of domination where it's like, and yet he's not leading the championship. No,、um, but you know it's, it's sort of less less exciting to be like, oh man, can you believe it? The Mercedes were faster than everybody else. But、uh, so it was weird. So we did not have a one-two in qualifying. Rosberg's qualifying actually got kind of goofed up. In part, ended at, up fourth. I right, in in part because he misread or was sort of misled by his dash display. This is kind of interesting because this is what I do. Sort of, this is my day job is working with some of it is timing and scoring equipment, but a lot of you know GPS and speed and distance measurement. So his system was based on time and distance and the distance traveled around the track, assuming that you take basically the same distance every lap around the track. But he had done、hmm. such an enough difference in distance traveled that his time said he was farther back off off his target time than he actually was. He was actually point six seconds off, and it said he was one point two seconds off or something. Oh, so he thought, oh man, I really have to push because otherwise I'm like way nowhere near. So if he had, you know, and so then he pushed too hard. What, had that's that what forced the error, right? And、mm. and so it was, you know, a misunderstanding. So you're saying he was so bad before that it made him even worse. No, he was closer before. And no, then, because his distance was so far off. Well, yeah, evidently that just the partly. I don't know if how that affects you know because it wouldn't be based on wheel speed. I wouldn't think, but if lockups were affecting that, or just you know with the, the wet track as it was in qualifying. Yeah, anyway, so they got a little bit mixed up,、um, but it was not a Mercedes one-two for qualifying,、um, but、uh, it was Hamilton on top and for the qualifying and for the race. I mean, it really just kind of had this one in hand、uh, in the entire time. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. We're going to jump right into the championship stuff a little bit because, yeah, Hamilton won the race easily today. Rosberg、uh, did, despite starting fourth and despite having a bad start in the race,、uh, did end up finishing second and had a great drive. And he had, he did so、um, while all、uh, while having to give.、Um, His engineers more information than usual because his telemetry was down, and so he did what I would say is a very admirable job to collect second place, and so it is a, yet again a Mercedes one-two. But here's what's fascinating to me: Rosberg is still indeed in in the lead in the championship because he has one win, Australia, and then three second place finishes in a row, and that beats 
Hamilton's no points at all in Australia and then three wins. Right. Fascinating stuff. Although obviously the trend seems to be unless he has you know unless Hamilton has more what spark plug insulator wire failures, uh, then you know that things will will change. But yeah, that's you are you are correct though. It is. Uh, I'm freaking ass, pop over ads trying to get on top of my. Okay, so it is seventy nine <laughs> points for Rosberg. Yeah, yes. only four points ahead of Hamilton. That's right. Um, I mean the the gap has been shrinking. It was he was twenty five points ahead. Then he was eighteen points ahead. Then he was 11 points ahead, and now he's four points ahead. So, yeah, it's a shrinking gap. But, you know, Hamilton, uh, based on his racing career thus far, is unlikely to have quite as smooth sailing as uh, Sebastian Vettel has done in the past. So things can not go his way in the all-too-near future, and if Rosberg's there to capitalize, meh, you know, who knows? Yeah, so we had also a, a dynamic start, shall we say, from Felipe Massa. Oh, man. Um, it was it started off really well, and then just kind of he had a, a pretty strong coming together with uh, with Fernando Alonso, which actually was not enough to uh, break either of their cars. It was sort of surprising. Um, it was just... Was t- it? No, I thought Massa was with it was, Botas, and I thought... I'm sorry. I thought Alonso was with Botas. No, and it was the other way around. Was it? Because it was Massa Alonso as teammates and former teammates and all that. Oh man! But that okay. was just—it was just tire to tire uh, on that one, and uh, it, it, you know, just kind of you know shook the cars around a little bit, but didn't end either of their day. And then uh, you know, 100 yards down the road, uh, there was uh, contact between—I uh, think it was Rosberg and Botas. Um, and that was uh, that, yes, that was a pretty right. big difference in speed, and I was a bit surprised that it didn't break the rear suspension on one or both of the cars involved. Yeah, really, but it didn't. We didn't see Botas the angle that Botas had, but from uh, Rosberg's angle, that looked like a you know tide rod shattering a strong enough hit. You know, yeah. so that was very lucky for Rosberg right there, because yeah, that would have shifted the championship around. Um, it was fascinating to see because this is the last of the flyaways. You know, they start with four flyaways, but this was the first race after they had um, in-season testing because they were able to do in-season testing in Bahrain after the actual race, mm-hmm. right? And I we didn't expect any major shifts in uh, form or anything like that. And jumping way ahead, that's something that, I am hopeful to see in Spain is uh, teams shift around and jump up and jump down and have that be part of the thing. Yeah. However, um, one team that has been shifting back awfully quick is McLaren, and you know they had uh, they were both out in Q2, both drivers out in Q2, and they languished more or less. Throughout this race here, there yeah, was nothing exciting. They have like a general sort of seems like a lack of downforce, and it's. A, a bit hard to say. I mean, I don't think there's been enough improvements to their cars yet to really know, but there is a new wing for the Mercedes, a new front wing that, you know, apparently kept failing the crash test and eventually they made it work. And so it's kind of on the, uh, on the, not on the edge of legality. It is legal, but uh, you know, it's on the, on the edge of development and uh, just being pushed forward in, uh, in pieces until it can uh, be run on the cars. But I wonder, and, and of course, you know, Red Bull performance has, has come uh, quite a bit up from where it has been uh, where, I mean, I guess obviously, you know, with, uh, with a bit, maybe an extra bit of fuel flow, uh, Ricardo was able to do really well in Australia, but um, <laughs> you know, they, they've, sort of been uh, coming back pretty strong and then a third place for ferrari i mean alonzo uh, you know coming home third uh, raikkonen still out to sea and we'll talk about that a little bit later yeah, but raikkonen's uh, an interesting one but uh, so i wonder if mclaren has really you know made a step back or if other people are actually just finding gains and uh, and moving forward and 
uh, keeping things going, and, and you know, McLaren is just not doing that yet. It's uh, it's a bit tough to say. Yeah, I, what you're saying is exactly right, it, and I feel like with Red Bull, what we're seeing more than anything is this was a chance where both things, because Daniel Ricciardo just had a comedy of errors come his way, and none of them were really his directly, but uh, just the first race, obviously he did really well and was disqualified, and I don't remember now, I, if it, I think it was Malaysia where he was running really well, and then the uh then the wheel the wheel nut wasn't put on tightly enough and uh then he had a pushback but then he had a penalty anyway but then the car failed and right. then he got a 10 pace grid uh grid penalty for Bahrain for the so, unsafe release yeah. for an unsafe release just ridiculous stuff that uh, Ricardo's dealt with but yet again i mean this is someone we should talk about right away actually stronger than Sebastian Vettel Sebastian Vettel not terribly professional about that and um, a great result, fourth place. Yeah, um, and uh, so it was uh, team orders given to Vettel to say, okay. Which I love. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there and bask. Wait, wait, wait. <sighs> Do you smell that? Do you smell that in the air? That smugness that's wafting away from Vettel because he can't hold on to it anymore? That's a beautiful smell. See, it's funny though, because the other just last week you're talking about as a driver, uh, you know, oh yeah, you know, Massa shouldn't give away team orders. He should, he should say no and f those guys and whatever. And and yet now it seems like you're kind of on the other way, sort of making fun of Vettel for, uh, uh, you know, for not having, you know, for being smug about it and whatever. Is it just a no, personal no. Vettel thing? No, or no, no, no. Not that, that's not at all. I don't. I don't. Uh, it's not the giving team orders versus not giving team orders. And I'm glad that Massa ignored them and Vettel didn't. What I'm laughing about, what I'm finding the joy in, is the fact that Vettel was given those orders in the first place. The fact that it's even crossing the team's mind to be like, dude, your teammate, you're in his way. Is that the right thing to do? I was happy to see them to uh, to race, and I was very happy to see Ricardo come on top of that anyway. But um, I was not... I, what's, what's smug about it for me is that they're even thinking to tell Vettel that in the first place. That's, that's the great moment. That's but not, the so, But when they go to say, okay, hey, Botas is going faster than Massa, you're like, oh, how dare they? This is Massa. You can't do that to him. I don't know. It feels like a pretty similar situation. It's like the number one driver. And to me, it doesn't seem as personal as people make it out to be, either with the Vettel thing or with Massa uh, from two weeks ago, because it's, it's a strategy call. It's, it's the team doing what's best for the team, which... I don't think anyone should be really be surprised about that. Sometimes that's you know not what, what is best for one driver or the other. I mean, that's just it's sort of like, hey, we have a, a chance here. People run different strategies, different tires. Obviously, it's all the same fuel load, but uh, you know, just basically, it just comes down to different pit strategies and who can do what with tires. And everyone's dealing with the weather and all that. So it doesn't seem like the craziest thing in the world if it's like, hey, let your teammate buy because he can do something better than you can right now. No, and I, mean, I think if Vettel had let Ricardo around, uh, you know, it could have actually been, it could have been enough to get him on the podium sooner. It could have actually caught up to Alonso. Right. Because he was not far behind by the end of the race. And it definitely slowed Ricardo down to, uh, to have to race Vettel in the first place. Right. But uh, there is, on paper, you're absolutely right. Like, hey, this is a team making a strategy call. It is what it is, blah, blah, blah. But there is definitely a difference in emotion between the fans, us, and the drivers to have a uh, reigning and four-time world champion be told all of a sudden, hey, your teammate's fashion, you get out of the way. 
um, as opposed to um, the guy that was almost world champion once and then constantly in the shadows of his teammate, uh, this is Massa at Ferrari with Alonso, yeah. um, and him being told to get out of the way again because you know the teammate's faster again. It was just like you could just you could feel the emotion, you know, cut that with a knife kind of thing. Emotions with, are stupid though. With you should Masa. go with what's on paper. You said correct <laughs> emotions on paper. Emotions are impractical. That's where that's where it kind of ends, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but anyway, so that and I think, listen. We could we could see that in the amount of people that listen to our podcast, um, that Formula One had become so uh, predictable that people were getting sick of it and they just didn't even care anymore. Or maybe we were becoming predictable. I don't know. I guess that, that could have been part of it. <laughs> oh, this is where Robin says something zany. Zany! Uh, anyway, no, we're not predictable at all because I might say something zany now. Anyway, the point is that um, the point is that it's just refreshing to see not just Vettel, uh, Vettel running away with it, but that Vettel is struggling uh, more so than his teammate, and uh, uh, that's a, that's independent of the team orders bit. And uh, you know, it's ironic for us to say because it's not like he had a bad result, Sebastian Vettel. He he finished fifth. The Red Bull is running. The Red Bull team is running Renault engines, which um, are pretty much uh, anyone. Everyone will say unanimously. Uh, people will unanimously unanimously say, "Wow, that uh, the Renaults are the weakest of the three engines. The Mercedes are the strongest of the three. Ferrari somewhere in between." Yeah. So they're running the weakest engines, and yet they are still, you know, best of the rest in qualifying and still quite strong in the race. And um, this uh, result from Ferrari, this might have just been. Alonso put in a good place to really carry and punch above his weight. Yeah, so I would want to be a lot bigger than Alonso if I ever had to punch him. Yeah, I mean he, yeah, he's, and you know we heard that, that uh, Vettel was thinking about boxing as well, which I think meant he may have been considering giving up his racing career because it wasn't true. going so well. And this thinking, is you know very what? true. I could be a boxer, or maybe he was just thinking about other people boxing instead of his own driving, and maybe that's why he wasn't doing so well. I was you know thinking about boxing, so. Okay, so we have to talk about Ferrari. Um, yes, they the obligation. Either fired or, or he decided to quit, but Stefano Domenicali is no longer team principal at Ferrari. Yes. Now it is Marco Mariachi is the guy. Um, and already they turned around and they got, him, they got Fernando Alonso on the podium. So, so clearly well done, Stefano De- Domenicali was, was doing poorly right. and Marco was there. He was, you know, he, he knew it was like jazz music. He knew when not to speak. He knew the notes not to play. Right. So I think all the time, the you know Stefano must have been going to guys. Hey, guys, like let's shoot for fourth, you know, fourth spot. And Alonso was like, okay, I can do that. All right, all right. And then they get a new guy. They're like, Stefano, you're fired. Or maybe he just decided to quit. Um, and then they get in Marco, and Marco's like, guys, let's shoot for third. And everyone's like, wait, I think we can do that. And so they got a new guy, and now they've got better results. I can just picture like the crowd of Ferrari people going, third place? Is he serious? He really want to do third do we, place? Do you think we could? <laughs> <laughs> this guy is bold. He's amazing. Well, I'm, he was Ferrari North America guy. North America baby. Woo! That was that was his uh, role before a team principal at Ferrari. Now he was the president of Ferrari North America. So that's what that's that's his past because you know America, America, <laughs> everybody. Right. So, but seriously, <laughs> uh, it's 
it's a bit it, it seems a bit weird because it wasn't at the end of last season it was not um you know partway through this season where they've had quite a bit of time to sort of figure out the order it was you know after three races um and yeah ferrari hadn't done well and we knew yeah. you know luca i mean it's not like the flyaway races right over. it's the three flyaways and whatever and then even Four. on, on yeah. the on the fourth one um you know, the Ferrari had what was a really solid performance. It was in front of the Red Bulls, in front of the, uh, uh, you know, the Force Indias, which is actually an achievement now, um, and, and so on. Like, you know, it was really not a bad way to go. So it's it's a bit, uh, it's tough. It's like it's like the, the feedback for, uh, you know, there's a, there's a bad race or two, and then uh, the feedback gets back to the factory, and then by the time the feedback gets around, somebody says, oh, what can we do? Oh, well, we can get rid of Stefano. Oh, we can bring in this other guy. Like, the team has already bounced back just because, you know, things ebb and flow. And like you say, there's testing yeah. and there's developments and people find little things to say, oh, wait, we can change this and make this faster and so on. So it seems to me like that decision was made too quickly um, is sort of my – just my opinion on that. And I think it's actually similar to the um, – you know the debate about the noises in the in F one cars as well because it was well it was <laughs> I right thought, af- it was right I thought after that dead horse was no, beaten but the point is the timing it's like at, right after Bahrain when everyone's like I don't care how they sound this race was great then like then the working group got started to be like okay so a problem with the sound so like no 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 we already moved past that you guys it's like it's a bit like that it's like okay Marco's like all right I'm showing up for office what what do we need to do and the team comes there and they're like all right. everybody's doing great here right, let's move on like I don't know so well and he knew not to speak. It's very, very good. So, yeah, I, it, I completely agree with you, and it is fascinating. Uh, the other thing that I see developing, uh, it doesn't take long in Formula One. Raikkonen is developing a reputation of being hard to work with, too sensitive to the car, and on and on. He's still the Iceman. He's still got that going for him. But, you know, it seems to be all it really does is just give Alonzo, tons and tons and tons of credibility, but we're not far from Raikkonen's performance being questionable, period. Yeah, and I I kind of, I don't know, I never got as excited about Raikkonen coming back as a lot of people did. Some people, oh, this is going to be awesome, we're going to have the two guys, uh, and, and they're you know both arguably the best drivers in the world, and so I on. I think, yeah, I think actually I can dramatize this for our uh, listeners. Okay. I'd be like, oh my god, Kimi Raikkonen! And Jim would be like, eh, Kimi Raikkonen. Right. And you'd think I'd be all about him, right? Because it's like emotions are overrated. That's my guy. But uh, I don't know. It's it's you know he had obviously some good performances in the Lotus, which apparently you know had amazing steering or something, and it really just worked for him to uh, to get some good results. He including complained about it quite a lot in the Renault right. or, or Lotus, you the, know, the Lotus, as Lotus, it were. whatever. Yeah, yeah. but. Uh, but it's like, okay, and you figure, okay, one or two races, you know, it, it's whatever. But it's now has been, you know, a solid four races. And, uh, you know, looking at it, Kimi has 11 points in the championship, which puts him behind Massa, behind Checo Perez, behind both McLarens, who got no points. Now. You know, it's like he's right smack in the middle of the championship. And uh, the folks behind him are two STRs who have four points each and all the guys with no points at all. Yeah. So it's like, that's really... Uh, not not an awesome place to be. And in terms of constructor points and constructors championship, which we know Ferrari has a big focus on that, I guess that's probably where Marco Mariachi is going to be looking, is saying, okay, okay, we've got Alonso here scoring points for us. And then we had Massa and we had some other guys in the, in the last previous years and they weren't as solid number two drivers. Then we brought in Kimi Raikkonen, you know, world champion, crazy, amazing driver, Kimi Raikkonen. And what's he doing for us? You know, he's got bugger all. So um, <laughs> I think right. uh, I, I think that's that's going to be, you know, 
a big thing to look at because at the, at, you know, in contrast to previous years, you know, when Vettel was dominating, it was not usually Mark Webber right up there with him. I mean, yes, there were one twos and there were different things, but there was, you know, one problem or another and different things were happening. And of course, Alonzo was usually quite there. And then, and, you know, even uh, Lewis Hamilton and Rosberg as well yeah, sure. during the Vettel sort of domination times. Now we have, you know, last year, right. Um, <laughs> but now we've got two Mercedes in both of them doing very, very well, obviously both with wins already. And, and absolutely. I'm going to cut in there because, you're so entirely right. The biggest difference we've had so far is that, yes, we've got a dominant team so far this year, but they are racing each other, and so it's still keeping it way more exciting. Right, and it's not, like, especially in Bahrain, it was not just, oh, one guy owned this, and it was, he was out by himself all day. Uh, in this case, of course, uh, Rosberg you know, had some issues at the start and so on, so he wasn't right up there with uh, Hamilton on track, um, but it could have been, so it's, it's still yeah. more exciting to follow. And had he had working telemetry and started from outside pole, there's no reason to think that it wouldn't have been closer. I mean, that is, I think, that you, to put your words another way, Thinking that Rosberg would win the race was a very sensible prediction to have made, <laughs> say, two weeks ago. Yes. That would have been like a really yes. logical— If you wanted to be just a little wrong. Yeah, right. Uh, absolutely. Well, it was just a little. <laughs> um, so be- as a side effect of that, though, Mercedes has nearly three times the points of anyone else in the field. I mean, it's Mercedes' number one constructors with 154 points, back to Red Bull well, with mean, 57, well, and then down from there. Mercedes has basically scored all the points they can, right. save for one second-place finish. I mean, think about it. Right. They've been one, two in every Grand Prix except for the first one. Right, and of course, yeah. If Hamilton had uh, had stayed on to either do you know do well there, then it would be even even crazier than it is. But yeah, so it's you know Mercedes with 154, then Red Bull, then not Ferrari, not McLaren, not Williams. Force India is third, uh, and only three points behind Red Bull, which is just really great job for those guys think for about a small that. team to uh, to do that at any point in the season, let alone the fact that we're four races in. For us to say that Force India is third in the Constructors' Championship, and I think they were even second uh, going into this, right? They were way high. Um, but Force India really is, I think, um, the, the the team of 2014 in terms of improvement. It's been brilliant. You know, I would say Mercedes is kind of the team of 2014 in terms of yeah, but that's, <laughs> in terms of points. But, but uh, yeah, for improvement, sure. Because Force India, this is different than Williams because Williams has you know a 30 year history. And has been the dominant team in the past, and then they've you know have ebbed and flowed, right? But uh, Force India has just been steadily moving, steadily moving. And th- listen, they've got a fantastic driver, Nico Hulkenberg. I think just about everyone agrees with that. And um, Perez, he's hot and cold, but when he's hot, he's quite good. And he's the only one with a podium for Force India this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got two. Uh, they've got a dynamite driver, really top-notch driver, and they have a solid driver. And the 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 car just keeps improving and improving and improving. So they've been fantastic to watch, and it'll be really interesting to see. I don't know where they are budget-wise and that kind of stuff. If they'll be able to continue to develop the car throughout 2014 and stay competitive, mm-hmm. um, because they tend to be a little bit stronger earlier in the season. Yeah, you'd have to think that Ferrari and McLaren uh, being able to put more resources behind it may move forward, and those those are the next two people in the championship, next two constructors in the championship, and that they move may move forward. But uh, you know, it's good to see as it is now. And then, uh, but man, so Lotus though still no points at all on the board, uh, and they are still just 
you know, floating around, uh, having problems, you know, and, and Roman Grosjean, okay, got to Q3, right? He was qualified yes. eighth or something. It was like actually a solid, uh, you know, chance at some points and, and racing, whatever, and then had, uh, you know, another mechanical failure with the car. And Maldonado, to his credit, actually stayed out of trouble once he got to the race. Right. Uh, practice, not so good. Qualifying, oh God, not so just... awesome. Didn't take part in qualifying because he broke the car in practice. Yes. But um, in the race, yeah. though, I guess somebody talked to him and called him down and said, okay, just drive your race, and he did, and, uh, and was able to bring it home. Uh, but uh, so that's still, you know, in terms of most um, most time lost, uh, because Lotus was, you know, holding on, hang on to it in the Constructors Championship last year. You know, they had they had wins, they had podiums, they had, uh, you know, good results, and they things figured were, the car out. Yeah, looking pretty so, pretty solid. And uh, now to see that, you know, four races in and so far zero points is uh, definitely a step back for them. Yeah, and we have to talk um, about this is this really is shaping up to be very cool uh, championship this year because Williams, Williams, you know, Votas finished seventh. Um, Massa would have finished much longer if he didn't have that freaking 90 second uh, uh, pit. That was just a dreadful because they got the tires mixed up. That one just seems so silly that it could have cost that much time, but it, but it did. And so that hurt him. But Williams is a solid performer this year. You and I, I think, both agree that uh, McLaren, you'd think they'd have the capability to move up um, from where they are. So if you think about this, we've got Mercedes clearly, Ferrari, Red Bull, Force India, Williams. That's five teams that has potential this year. Yeah. And honestly, uh, STR, you know, uh, Daniel Kafiat, Kafiat, you say you can say it better. No, you had him. it right, Kafiat. You totally had it there. That. Yes. You know, he scored another point in the STR. They're, you know, the STR is not that bad. And if if uh, Lotus can sort out their problems, I mean, it could be an epic championship. And even if Mercedes runs off and those two just fight with each other, I'm talking about Lewis and Rosberg, mm-hmm. it will still be very, very cool to see how uh, the second in the, in the championship sorts itself out. Because right now, the odds-on favorite for me is Force India. Really over Red Bull right really? now at the moment, yes. Yeah, well, fair enough. It's uh, but like you say, I mean, we've always had uh, even you know when Vettel's been dominating, it's been best of the rest, and it's sort of been Mark Webber was one of those guys uh, that was right. sometimes there and sometimes not. So now to have at least you know two guys out you know fighting out of the front, and and we'll see. I mean, I don't think uh, this this is going to last all season this way. I imagine that the other teams will uh, sort things out with engine firmware and aerodynamic bits and different things. Uh, so. Yeah, you got to have your wear be firm. That's right. Firm that wear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know what's funny, though? I, it, for me, this race felt kind of boring. And it wasn't. There was a lot of interesting things that happened this race. There was interesting strategy calls. Um, there was good on-track performance, uh, thanks to Rosberg, if no one else. And good stuff. But I think the Bahrain GP set the bar so freaking high. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's just like I'm still... I'm still kind of over the moon with how crazy that race was. That China was like, oh, but there wasn't multiple fights for the lead. And, oh, but wait, where were all the passes on track? It's like, no, this was a good race. Yeah. I, I feel like if we got you like another Mountain Dew into you, I feel like you would have been right there with the excitement. But You think so? You, know, you think I'm one Mountain Dew I, away? I think I feel like that may be a thing. I, but... have, I have had so little caffeine. Like the amount of caffeine I've probably had in a week is probably – not that far ahead of what I used to take in in a day. 
I kind of miss that. And I sleep, well, I sleep better at night. Oh, well, I guess I'm just good. tired during the day, oh. all day, every day. That's <laughs> all. There you go. It, life is better. <laughs> Leave me alone. Well, good. <laughs> it's important when someone gets to your age, though, you have to think about these kind of things. This, so. this is true. There you go. You know, so the other, uh, to, to bring it back on track, if, if I may. Um, <laughs> What you may okay, thank you. <laughs> um, and is I think the uh, the other big thing that people have been talking about is cost caps and uh, you know how do we look at the sustainability of Formula One uh, to not just having it be you know run away with whoever can spend the most money just you know takes it and wins it all and whatever. And I feel like there's lots of ways you can debate it in terms of you know part of what we want to see is is a crazy technology and so don't cost you know don't cap any costs. Everybody just go nuts with as much cool stuff as you can, and then we'll get the best technology, and that's part of part of what's fun. Um, you could also say then if whatever team you know has the best uh, best results, then they just get all the rest people, and then they just become better and better and better, and everyone else you know can't can't hang, uh, and then you end up with you know one you know manufacturer just tearing off with it, and of course that's the big ex- example with uh, you know Mercedes from back in the 30s or whatever when they could just outspend everyone else you know by orders of magnitude, and the racing actually wasn't that good because it was always like oh well these guys are always going to do well, and then the rest just uh, just falls away. But I feel like having Force India. Um, ahead of Ferrari, ahead of McLaren in the championship. I feel like that's the kind of thing that the the bosses and and you know even Williams and Lotus that you know they've done not a big team uh in the uh traditional sense, but you know have sort of manufacturer backing with Renault and all that. But certainly in the traditional budgetary sense they are not the big ones. Right. Yeah. Uh but to say um you know if if I'm Ferrari and I'm getting getting beaten by uh by Force India then you could say, okay, well, why, why aren't we doing better? But also it's like, well, look at what these guys are able to do and how much are they spending to get that? I mean, someone in a boardroom has to be sort of looking at that and thinking about it and thinking, okay, well, if they're able to make a car that goes better than ours and they're spending, you know, a tenth the price on it or what, you know, whatever the numbers are, uh, then I feel like that's sort of in itself an argument for a, a, a cost cap or whether, whether that's an enforced cost cap or whether that's just the way um, – you know, the way things balance out. I mean, I think in general, uh, these kind of things uh, will have uh, an ebb and flow. And, you know, it would have been easy to think after four, you know, back-to-back four times uh, Red Bull and Vettel winning championships that they would just have all the resources in the world. And if if the current thing of F1 is just, you know, you can just spend as much as you want and therefore you're going to win, then why isn't Red Bull and Vettel, why aren't they dominating right now? And right. they're not. And the point is there's differences and it's, you know, who's just where different engineers are and who's clever at different things. And, and obviously just the way the drivers are and tires and everything else comes together. It's not as simple as write a huge check and you will just win. So I feel like once everyone understands that, and I think most, most you know, people that run these teams and stuff do, um, then I feel like it is... Um, more about let, let's be clever with how we spend our money and not just think that, okay, you know, I, I can just spend a whole bunch of money and just win. Therefore, um, you know, we don't have to spend bajillions of dollars as, you know, a very technical term that I like so much. It's very um, many dollars. Th- to, uh, to, to be successful. So um, I'm not sure that there's as much of a crisis as, uh, as people think um, or as some, some people sort of think that, the, you know, this is the end of the sport. This is, you know, we're going to have a grid with only five cars in it and it's going to be terrible. Uh, you know, because no other teams are going to compete. But I think as long as um, 
you know, as long as there's money to be made, there's always people trying to find that money. So whether, you know, if, if, if their costs do continue like they are and these particular teams, some of them can't afford to, to exist anymore. I mean, obviously we had, you know, the Hispania racing team and then they no longer exist. Um, but there's already, we've got, you know, two new teams looking to come into the sport. One of them being the American effort from Haas Formula. Which has been approved. Yep. And, and which is, which is quite likely. And, uh, and another team as well. Uh, so it's... What's it? What's the what's the other team? Were they approved? Because the you know that was the big news no, is that we have an American team that did get grant yeah. was granted by the FIA, and that was supposed to be like and in the coming weeks we'll talk about you know the other team and whether they're approved or not as well. So there's uh, you know this other effort that's going on that. Uh, but, but do you know anything about? I, I honestly don't. I've been focused on Gene Haas. No, I forgot. I it, it's it's a couple weeks ago that I looked into. So just some other some other guy. Freaking other guy. I'm say, no, but but I'm to say your, Todd Jackson. To your <laughs> to your larger point, though, I I completely agree with you, and I think if you want to police um, the amount of money spent, I think there's ways to do that indirectly, and that is with clever use of the rules, and uh, that that will help uh, just fundamentally reduce costs. And the other thing that I think is helping um, reduce costs at the team level a little bit is as more emphasis in the technology goes towards the engine, well, then that means the three engine manufacturers are the ones that uh, will be spending a little bit more money on development there. And it isn't necessarily... So obviously Ferrari, the team, it's all ultimately attached to the same thing, same, same with Mercedes. But it's not Force India and it's not Williams. They're not spending hundreds of millions of dollars just on the engine development alone, things like that. Right. So if you... if and I think having emphasis on powertrain is incredibly important because uh, we like to joke and kid. But uh, at the end of the di- end of the day, uh, Jim and I are in 100% agreement that new technology and new development thrown at Formula One is incredibly important, including these new powertrains. We've got power units, as they like to be called. So continue to emphasize that and continue to um, be limiting with fuel. Uh, have one tire supplier, mm-hmm. and just be clever with the rules. Um, and naturally, the teams don't have to spend bajillions to get technical, but uh, just have smart people doing clever things. Right, and of course, you have to you know find and pay smart people to to attract them to your team and do that. So it's not like it's free, but I feel like that's a more sensible uh, way of looking at it than. You know, a literal I feel cost like, cap. Because yeah. because policing these things is really tough. And, of course, we actually had a bit of that with Red Bull and STR uh, back when it was sort oh, of customer cars. Oh, Red Bull cars. Technologies. Because they said, oh, well, we're not running the same car. We both buy a car from this other company called Red Bull Technologies. Yes. You know, like, it's it's very easy, like, especially at the top levels of international finance and motorsport. You know, there are lots of clever people just finding ways to sort of get around other rules and play games with taxes and with money and marketing budgets and all kinds of things. So Red Bull is a bit weird in that, you know, it's ultimately it's a marketing company. Um, yes, they, they sell, you know, their sugary drinks, but ultimately they're selling kind of this lifestyle sort of thing. So when they say, hey, we're going to do a stunt with a Red Bull doing donuts on top of a you know hotel in Dubai, like, is that, that's not really for the F1 team. No, it's just marketing. It happens to involve our F1 driver and, you know, and different things. But you're more, you know, you're more correct than you even think you are. The best marketing company in the world is Coca-Cola. Um, that is what they do. That is why they're worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. Red Bull is very much the same thing. 
Well, there you go. There I am go. more correct than I thought I was. You were, I thought I was pretty correct. You thought you were 95% correct. You were 98.7% correct. Wow. So yeah. anyway, so com- comparing that to you know Williams, uh, who is like they exist to race in Formula One, they don't have reasons to you know or budget to just do oh we're going to do a filming day oh we're going to do a some crazy other marketing stunt somewhere that involves a track and a race car or whatever it's like no it's just you know it's a very clear line it's like what is williams budget it's a very easy thing to look at and you can probably figure out their books and whatever and even there of course there's there was you know williams uh, hybrid technologies and things which now they've actually spun off so <laughs> flywheel spun it off ha, ha. Nice. but uh have you know those those have gone separate from the race team but um, to look at, and even Ferrari is, a, is another good example. I mean, you know, you don't see advertisements for Ferraris. You know, the racing is their marketing. So for them as a car company to say, oh, well, this is all a part of our marketing budget. Yeah. It's all kind of a, a different game. Well, uh, and I have to say Ferrari is an ironic thing because Ferrari, you could also almost argue, is a fashion company because they, I, I mean, this is years ago now that I heard this, but I know no reason to think Oh, it's sure not it's true anymore true. that uh, they make more money selling clothing than they do selling cars well, or I racing. Like, I feel like it's clothing, but I feel like only if you lump um, comically oversized flags into that because <laughs> that's kind of clothing. But I feel like Ferrari, like they have to make a, a bunch of money. You know, they have deals with Puma and deals with all these other kind of companies and all these shirts you and all these have hats. to pay for a Ferrari T-shirt. But you a know Ferrari those T-shirts, you know those flags though that show up at Monza where it's like thirty rows of grandstands are covered by like the one flag and then it goes like a hundred people wide. It's like that thing's got to cost some money. If a shirt is like a hundred dollars, I you wonder. Know. Yes, there, there's the big question: What is the profit margin on the cartoonishly large flags? They, someone <laughs> is making plenty of money from that. So yeah, so you know, like you say, there it's it's. Uh, in a way, I guess it's all sort of a lifestyle thing, right? That yeah. they're selling, you know, this is the lifestyle and this is what you want to say. And, uh, you know, it's, I guess, um, you know, Lotus Renault, I guess, has a lifestyle to it. But yeah. it's not really, <laughs> I don't know if it's something people Lotus want. Renault, right? eat this baguette. Oh, 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 oh. It's like drive around in Venezuela and crash into things. That I, was I don't my know what... extraordinarily and stupid stereotypical Lotus Renault that thing. Awesome. And Lotus is English, so I guess it's just well, eat your baguette and is... have your fish and chips and then oh, 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 oh. You're right? making it worse. Now I'm making I shouldn't be talking. Okay. Why am I talking? I don't know. <laughs> All right. We have lots more to hear from Jamie Price. Oh, our, yeah. Our F1 photographer. You, you were looking at me like, we don't have any more from Jamie Price. And I'm looking at you like, yes, we do. Um, I'm actually wandering around the paddock right now, which is enormous. We're on the backside of the, the front straightaway. Um, I don't know if the TV pictures have shown it, but there's a, a very large, you know, complex of hospitality pagodas and, you know, water features. And this place is just massive. I can't even really begin to describe how big this this front straightaway and the back straightaway is and the buildings, these, you know, these very iconic um, Chinese Grand Prix buildings. You know, the whole place is enormous. The media center is actually on the ninth floor of of the one that is closest to the finish line. Um, it's the first one that they go under after the last turn. So we've got a, a pretty good view of, you know, the cars as they come out of the last corner and then uh, go underneath of us down the down the straightaway. It is really interesting to be here. Um, kind of a, a painful process to get here. Long flight, pretty tough um, visa process, but did finally make it here. Yeah, it's easy to take for granted that, uh, oh, of course, Jamie's in China this week. Oh, of course, he was in Malaysia, and he's going to be in Monaco. But it is good to remember that behind the scenes there, there's a lot that goes into the logistics of just, you know, getting yourself all across the world and dealing with, you know, a 12-hour time difference and stuff now is uh, yeah. a pretty severe thing. And and being a photographer and packing 
those are not necessarily the best things right. <laughs> to combine. Uh, so we did uh, ask about uh, just some of the kind of general impressions and how the different cars are looking and, uh, and facing against each other. So uh, let's see what he has to say about that. Practice, I thought, was really interesting. Um, cars look pretty good in the dry. You know, obviously, it, it's really shaken out that um, the Mercedes continues to be the class of the field, and it's really obvious just watching them on track. They just look so much faster, so much more planted than anything else. Um, but I thought it was surprising to see Alonso, you know, split the Mercedes in practice one, one or two, and then I think he was top of the timesheets in, in, in another one. So, you know, the Ferrari is definitely picking up its pace. Uh, I, th- I thought it was really interesting just to see actually how far the Red Bulls have come too, and, you know, particularly in qualifying yesterday in the wet, which was torrential wet, not just wet, but it was very, very wet. Um, but, you know, both Daniel Ricciardo and Sebastian Vettel have a serious car under them. But interestingly enough, Adrian Newey is not in China right now. And I don't know why, but actually uh, one of the guys that I work with is at Silverstone this weekend at the World Endurance Championship. And I believe he took a picture of Adrian Newey in the back of the Porsche World Endurance Championship garage talking with um, one of their mechanics or aero designers um so you know let let the rumors fly about that i don't know what's going on but he is not in china which i thought i think is interesting being the chief aerodynamicist for red bull um, especially with the car needing to be improved to kind of fight for a championship that mercedes is walking away with but you know that's their problem not mine oh so fantastic to hear what it's like in china so very cool so uh, we're not done with Jamie even still. Uh, on Facebook, we had people ask him questions, and a lot of you guys did, and he had answers. So we're going to get to that, as well as our usual fun bag of listener feedback. Yes, we had a thrilling race, and that usually means lots of people uh, want to chime in and give us their opinions on it, and we love that. We like to see uh, what everyone thinks. So uh, we had. Well, email. that's not entirely true. Jim loves that, and I heart that. You heart that. Well, yes. there you go. Um, so Paul Alston emailed us. Uh, says, hi, guys. Just after midnight in the UK, and I've just finished watching the Bahrain race, so now I thought I'd drop you a line with a few thoughts, and we'll just run these down real quick. Button, shame to retire on Grand Prix number 250. Agreed. True. Hamilton showed that he can be the best if and when he can get his head down and race. Agreed. Massa needs to chill the hell out or retire. Disagree. Nope. Ooh, ooh, that's a different one than the one you said before. I know, it's not the same word. He continues, in the last race, he refused point blank to follow the instructions of his of his employer, and this time out, he demonstrated that it is possible to see when an F1 driver is angry by his attitude to being overtaken, amongst other slightly overaggressive maneuvers, he locked up at least three times into the next corner after being overtaken. He needs to stop trying too hard. I agree with that. I mean, you know, we had a different. Uh, uh, you know, debate about whether the, the team orders thing and what he should have done, but uh, I think I think I'm on board with uh, with Paul's thoughts here. Um, Maldonado, oh my God, what was he thinking? <laughs> and, this yeah. is, and this is just from Bahrain, mind you. This was before anything in the weekend in China. Yeah, he goes on, and I can't believe uh, Coulthard on BBC actually said that the somersault was caused by inexperience on the part of Gutierrez, which we didn't. I didn't hear that, but uh, that's. I, I think there's only so much uh, Gutierrez could have done in that situation. Um, I mean. You know, it's, it's it's with a lot of crashes, right? You know, whether it's on racing or not, um, it's easy to think, okay, if this guy had done something different or if that guy had done something different, yes, things would have turned out differently. But the point is uh, kind of 
you know, who's, who is at fault can still be the case. I mean, you can, if you're always watching and always aware of everything that's going on around you, maybe you can avoid some things that wouldn't really have been your fault if they'd gone down. So I think, uh, you know, yes, Gutierrez could have, uh, maybe could have handled that differently um, if, if he'd been aware of, but I don't think it was, he really, you know, was his place to do that. Anyway, Paul continues, one more point. The sound, it's growing on me. And after a race like that, who cares? And I, I, think, <laughs> I think a lot of people were, uh, were in that boat. Yeah, we, I think we can definitely say amen to that. I mean, they can sound like uh, mutilated chickens. I don't even know what that would sound like specifically, but I'm thinking like a squawk, squawk. Kind of thing. <laughs> and if the racing, if the racing were were good, it'd be like, yeah, mutilate those chickens. Let's see some racing like Bahrain. I am not pro mutilating chickens. I should point out. I'm just saying the sound. <sighs> okay, moving on. Yes, Michael in Seattle uh, emails. He was actually waiting, uh, waiting to have his water pump uh, oh, worked yes. on. Michael in Seattle. Sure. What did he have to say? Uh, well. <laughs> He's uh, catching up. And, Hold on, uh, I need to catch up on my Twitter. Yes. Uh, well, he had comments about that. He said, "Oh, uh, really? Robin, about some of my uh, past tense tweets, some of your use of words." <laughs> Robin, you stated I tweeted the twat out of those tweets. Uh, yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> and he uh, he points out, uh, "Do you not realize what that word means?" Uh, no big deal. Tweet? Just thought you might like to know. I mean, like I know what know. a tweet is. I mean, did he, does he know what tweet meant before Twitter? Tweet means like a bird. Like that would be a bird sound. No, We're talking you know, about sounds. You know, tweet, tweet, you... tweet. As opposed to a mutilated chicken. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Squawk. <laughs> Michael continues. I'm going to make you wish that I do poems. That's just, the goal. <laughs> wow. Uh, just thought you might like to know. What that word actually means, and he sends you the uh, the dictionary link to it, not the Urban Dictionary one, which I'm sure has very many colorful descriptions for what that word might mean. But oh, is it is it color? Reminds him of the scene from Princess Bride with Inigo Montoya. Je keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Ah, uh, no. And the answer is you're wrong. I know exactly what it means. It means past tense tweet. And if it meant anything else in the past, that doesn't matter because I am changing it. I am just that popular in trend setting. Yeah. Either- yeah. Um, That's totally what, what it is. Although the dictionary uh, link that he sends says, uh, this is a very vulgar, obscene word that should be avoided. Well, I agree, because you shouldn't be talking about Twitter in the past tense. Twitter is about in the now. It's in the now. Move forward. Don't look back. Speaking, okay. Speaking Twitter of, isn't the of, history of, channel. Speaking, can we... Can we... Squawk! Thank you, thank you, Michael. <laughs> Robin has fallen off the rails, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, wait! Well, only if I had one more Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah, hours ago. Now it's too late. Now you've already <laughs> just gone down the mutilated chicken hole. No Mountain Dews have been, been sipped on, by the way. Yes. Or had, or drunken, or whatever. All right, so uh, the timing of this one was a tricky one because the races start at 3 o'clock in the morning, which, and we, we did get some, uh, some feedback. Actually, Craig Rose, now we know how to say his name, so thank you for that, Craig Rose. Um, wait, wait, how do you spell Craig R O S E E. Well, Craig is spelled in sort of normal Craig way. Um, but and, is it a Craig or is it Craig? You know what? He's Australian, as you would say. Oh, Australian. Okay, uh, but no. So we had uh, I did uh, some live tweeting for the practice sessions and some of the earlier sessions and stuff. So it was fun to uh, keep up with folks. But I was unfortunately we're not able to uh, uh, watch this one live because uh, and, and to Craig Rose's point. See, now that I know how to say it, I'm just going to play with it. Yeah, of course, um, Craig Rose. It's one thing to, uh, to to get up super early or super stay up super late to watch the race, but we have to think about is like 
we would watch the race, but, you know, first of all, we'd want to be in the same place at the same time. So it'd have to work for sort of both of our schedules and locations and, you know, spouses and whatnot. Uh, and then, and we, um, and we both have those things. We have right. spouses, we have locations and yes, the those, whole thing. Those are things we have. Um, and then also after the race, it's not like, Oh, now it's time to go to bed or now it's time to go get ready to go to work. Now it's like, Hey, let's go be creative and make a podcast and like organize and actually know what the heck we're talking about. Which I mean, I think everyone can tell, uh, you know, Jim obviously phones it in, but the work I do to prepare, he's a hardworking man. It takes hours and hours of specific chicken mutilation. <laughs> <laughs> that was research. Okay. Anyway, thank you as always to uh, our fine was research. And see. Exactly. <laughs> as always, thank you to our fine friends taking part on the uh, the Twitter feed, and uh, I think they know who they are at this point. Um, but uh, good times, and uh, we did a little uh, some um, some shout outs on Follow Friday and all kinds of fun stuff. So we had a comment uh, on uh, Fun with Cars directly from James, and he said, and I like this, great podcast as usual. See, we usually do that. That's great. What did you think about artificially changing the engine sound, question mark? Even if it is made louder, knowing it is fake might be a turnoff for many. Also, didn't know F1 cars could break, dan- could break dance. Guess uh, Gutierrez proved me wrong. Luco de Montezanolo certainly had something to think about after his Scarlets toured the track, and then these engines produce far better racing than I ever saw, than I saw with the V8s. I mean... Applauds to that. Agree with everything you said there. Applauds to that. I totally did. Uh, we also had a message from Michael Davidson on Facebook who sent us a photo of maybe your youngest listener. Uh, this is his, uh, his daughter, Jessica, who is a lifelong Alonzo fan. Although where her do life... you find the Facebook? <laughs> do I need to help you with all of these? <laughs> no, where is it, though? So Seriously. his daughter is a lifelong uh, Alonzo fan, although her life is only about 12 weeks long. Oh, 13 weeks now. Oh, um, She got up early to watch the Chinese Grand Prix this morning with Daddy. And uh, there's this picture of her in a Ferrari sweater, which is just adorable. So Who, uh, who, did, who sent this to us? Do you not really know how Facebook works? No, it's a I, message. No, no, no. I'm asking. We I have an inbox. Oh, it's a message. Yes. Oh, okay. I was looking at the other the recent feeds oh michael davidson yes ah yes oh see that's all i needed to see oh thank you anyway for the, uh, for the message michael i'm sorry that robin had to learn how messages work i bet if you go back to the inbox you can see there's other messages in there that we've uh that we've had you know, maybe over perhaps the, over the years as there as it as it were <laughs> it's uh, normally just been me i i dig the uh i mean is that a onesie it looks like a ferrari onesie to me I don't know. You know, Ferrari makes more money selling onesies than they do comically <laughs> oversized flags. Can you imagine if uh, – I wonder – no, this is an interesting thought. If you took the profit margin of all the onesies they sold against, um, you know, the profit margin they sell on a 458 Italia and, you know, make it more specific than that. Make it like the, uh, you know, the Stradale version or something like that. It would be a Stradale funny thing. the onesie? Well, that, but that's my point. Um, like the profit margin on the Stradale, it's, you know – Way more per car than it is per onesie, but how many onesies do they sell versus how many cars they sell? Hmm. We should hmm. talk to a guy in Ferrari marketing. We should call up uh, Marco Matalucci. He uh, he runs this thing, uh, Mariachi. No, but, but he. Oh, he got a different job. No, but he. What's beautiful about him is the words he doesn't say. Uh-huh. Remember? Right. Dang. It, and I don't know if that's official Ferrari. We don't know that part either. 
Yeah, it's true. There's because that's the other thing. There's a lot of knockoff Ferrari stuff in the world. And I'm not thinking that Michael Davidson has his daughter any kind of knockoff Ferrari stuff. But I was in Mexico a couple weeks ago for work, and if any, if ever is there a place to find knockoff Ferrari gear, it is Mexico, as far as I can tell, because there are <laughs> okay. all kinds of things, and it's like kind of like a prancing donkey instead of a prancing horse. Like it doesn't quite really, you know, hit the copyrights, but it's like. Clearly supposed to be Ferrari and clearly not. A prancing donkey, and they had, really? And so they had, you know, Pumas. Then Pumas shoes has an actual deal. Uh, they, they do Ferrari shoes and they do Mercedes shoes. Yeah. Um, but in, in Mexico, in these random shops and places that sort of, you know, make these things, they had a bunch of, like, BMW-branded shoes. I'm like, I don't think Puma has a deal with BMW, so I don't think these are real Puma things. But <laughs> if you drive a BMW and you want Puma shoes, then go to Mexico and you can get them. Anyway. And tacos. Yes. Oh, they have some um, so, as always, though, we had uh, you know great uh, amount of feedback on Facebook, um, including – so speaking of the artificial noise, which well, we kind of talked about that for a second and yes. skipped past that. Um, have you actually seen my spy shot yet? Uh, on, I did. On the Facebook page. It's very lovely. Yes. See, this, this, I am helping just solve the world's important problems. I'm learning the Facebook Yes, and I learned the Photoshop well enough to connect a trumpet to the back of a McLaren. So <laughs> that was your handiwork, and it was quite good. It I mean, was... which which does to me seem like kind of what they're talking about. They're like, we can't change the fundamentals of the car, the powertrains, the you know the power yeah. units. Like that, it is what it is. But there's the exhaust, and right now the exhaust pretty much comes right out of the turbo anyway. So what else can they do besides basically? Oh, we need to amplify that sound, and it's going to be kind of fake and kind of dumb. So I just sort of took that to its uh, logical, uh, ludicrous extreme, and uh, that's what you have. Is uh, basically it looks you know. I think that has potential to make the racing more exciting, and uh, it would also have the help of making drafting even more significant because that would uh, certainly, if you were to have a vortex come off the rear wing, that would actually hinder that. That would push on that vortex even harder. So, hmm, yeah, I think there's a lot of hidden values in that. And the other thing is that totally reminds me of like a 1920. 1920s automobile horn. Aruga! Aruga! If they made that sound when they revved, oh, that would be so amazing. Can if you the, imagine if on the grid, it's like, run, run, run. Instead of that, it's like, Aruga! Can you imagine? Aruga! Squawk! Squawk! Aruga! It would be... Wow. That would be amazing. There, there are those chickens again. There, hey. All right. Chickens. Um, Thank so, you to everyone who commented. I uh, apologize that we've kind of uh, run off into mutilated chicken land here. But back to reality for a moment um we have plenty more from jamie price so uh as you said the other day uh, you put out a question on facebook to say anyone who's got questions for our f1 photographer slash pit reporter uh fire away and uh, he had a bunch of questions so uh over to jamie and those listeners who uh, submitted questions we got a lot of good questions that i wanted to kind of touch on and uh one of them was what do i do to prepare for a race weekend and I think that's a great question, actually, because it's not easy. And you come to these racetracks, all of them are different. And the, what you see on TV pictures is not necessarily what you get when you get here. The TV pictures are very deceiving. They might not show elevation changes. They don't show where the catch fences are. They don't show the stuff that you have to deal with to, to get to a certain photo location. Um, they don't really show the layout of the track that well, I don't think, because you never really know what angle or perspective you're looking at it from. Um, so one of the best things that I do to, to kind of prepare for a race weekend is actually to um, play video games and, you know, laugh if you want, but I'm, I'm a big Xbox gamer, and uh, one of the things that I, I play the most is the Codemasters Formula One series, and they did a fantastic job of modeling these tracks. So, you know, I'll fire up the old Xbox and, uh, 
and run China or wherever I'm going. And, and really what it does is it gives you a really good sense of not only the track layout, but also the racing line. And that's important because when you're out with a camera pointing at a corner, you need to know where the car is going to go through that corner. You know, if you're, if you're set up to take a picture of the car, you know, running through a corner and you want it to be on the curbs, well, it may not be on the curbs. It may be f- way farther. It may be in the middle of the track. That may be the, the racing line. You, re- you just don't know, and that's a great way to kind of um, really understand the track and how the, the, f- the flow of the track works. Um, just, you know, understanding the little things. You can get a lot of, of good insight into a racetrack from video games. Um, but one of the other things that I do is actually look at what other photographers have done here in years past. And you don't, you don't want to copy what other people do, but you can get a really good idea of what can be done at a certain corner. And then from there, you can go to that corner when you get here during one of the practice sessions and, uh, and kind of do something of your own with it make, it, make it special, make it yours. The second part of that question was, what kind of equipment do I shoot on? And um, I'm an exclusively Nikon shooter, and it's not because I hate Canon. It's not because I think Canon makes bad cameras. They actually make fantastic cameras. But, you know, when you, when you go down a path as a photographer early on, and, you know, for me, I started taking pictures in essentially 2008, um, but really became invested in, in this as something that I wanted to do for a living in 2009 and 2010, once you start investing in cameras and lenses and all that equipment that goes with it, there's really no turning back. Um, interestingly, just to give you an idea of what kind of kit we bring to these races, we had to do an inventory for this race to, to give to the Chinese government as when we walk through the airport um, because they're very particular about that. But essentially, I came up with about $35,000 of gear that I'm carrying to each race. And obviously, I didn't buy all that brand new or outright but you know you buy it used you buy you know some stuff new just depends on the way it goes but if if i had to replace all of it at at new value it would be about thirty five thousand dollars and it's not as easy as just wanting to switch from excuse me while the mclaren warms up evidently um but it's not just as easy as switching from you know one one camera to manufacture to another, so I chose Nikon early on, and um, and and that's where I went. So you know I'm an exclusively Nikon shooter. I shoot with a 500 millimeter. Um, that's my long lens. I've got a, a, very, a you know a whole range of shorter ones from 70 to 200, and wide wide lens 14 to 24, um, a 50 millimeter prime. So we got a little bit of everything, and, and that's pretty standard for photographers shooting Formula One. One of the other questions I got was, uh, what's my favorite circuit to shoot at? And the answer is, you know, I, I really don't have a favorite. I, there's a lot that I love. Um, I love the circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal. I think it's fantastic. Um, I've been to Monza before. I love Monza. Um, you know, uh, what are some other ones? Road Atlanta in, in the U.S. is one of my favorites. But if we're talking strictly F1 tracks, I, I really, really like um, Montreal. It, it is a beautiful track. It is definitely one that everybody should get to at some point or another. Uh, Montreal is a really fun city as well. So as far as 
you know, race weekends go, that's definitely at the top of my list. But there's a lot that I haven't shot yet, so I'm hoping to cross off a few more this year. I've never, I've been to Monaco, but I've never shot it um, as a photographer. So I am hoping to, to, I actually will be in Monaco for, that'll be my next race. So, you know, I'll let you know more what I think of Monaco as a photographer, but, you know, everybody I've talked to loves it, loves shooting the race. So, um, but, you know, I think in general, all photographers would agree that the best races are actually the ones that, you know, have some, some history and, and some, you know, trees, really. Trees make a huge difference to, to photographers when we're out here working. I'm not going to lie, you know, this China, is, it's, a, it's an interesting place, but it's de- definitely not on my top five tracks that I, you know, I want to come back and, and shoot again. Um, it's been a very enjoyable experience, but this track is, is huge. There's not a whole lot to it. There's not a whole lot that you can make with it. Um, one of the better sections is actually at the bottom of the long back straightaway, that tight hairpin down there. You know, there's some cool grandstand buildings and architecture. So you can do stuff with that, but it's just really hard. You can't, you can only shine a turd so much as they say. Um, and, and it's, it does make it difficult to work here when it's just kind of all big, flat and gray. And, you know, the sun never really comes out because the pollution is so bad. But you have to make the best of it, and that's what our job is, is, you know, we come here, we're paid to come here, and, and this is what we do. One of the other questions I thought was pretty good was, uh, how much Photoshop do I do to my pictures? And it's kind of a loaded question, and it depends on what you mean by Photoshop. When someone asks if I Photoshop an image, I, I assume that they mean how much do I change an image um, to make it into something that it might not be. And the answer to that is actually very, very little. I don't none of us really change an image to make it into something it isn't, you know, ethically, as, as far as journalism goes, um, if, if it's going to run in a newspaper, then it has to be as it was. You can't change the scene. You can't take things out. You can't put things in. Um, you can't use the clone tool to, you know, to add flowers or, you know, to, to a corner. You can't, you know, if a flag is in the background, you can't clone it out. You shouldn't clone it out. Um, and photographers have been fired from their jobs as, as newspaper, you know, photojournalists for doing that. So it is important that we keep the ethics of it, you know, as, as much a part of our jobs as possible. Because as a, as a viewer of the image, you want to be able to trust that we're showing you what is happening here. Um, the most what we do is is minor color corrections. You know, with a place like this, when you have just haze and and pollution, and you know, really the sun never comes out. You don't get that much light or or really contrast or blacks in your pictures. You, it does help to kind of inc- you know raise the contrast levels, raise the black levels just a little bit. Um, it just gives you a little bit more color and and just a little bit more mood to the scene. But it doesn't change it so dramatically that it's not what it was when I was looking at it. So that's really the, the big thing. One of the better questions that was asked was uh, from Paul Peard, who asked, uh, what, about an, what, what about what makes an F1 photo something other than just a picture at a race circuit? Um, and that's a great question, and it's not, a, it's not an easy answer, and it's not a one-part answer either. Photography is subjective, and so when we 
as photographers t- make an image, you know, we're, we're doing what pleases us, what makes my eye attracted to the image. And some people like what we do and some people don't. And that's why people have photographers they really respect and love and other people just don't, you know, don't like another photographer's work as much. Um, so it's very subjective. But personally for me, what makes a, a great racing image and not just an f1 image but a racing image is one that kind of tells a story about where you are as much as it can but also has you know some dynamic colors and leading lines and you know stuff that just makes a picture pop um you know a couple that i'm thinking of are the s's you know the turns three four five six at circuit of the americas you know there's some great colors that you can work with there um same thing at, at in Montreal, you know, the Wall of Champions. There's just so much cool stuff you can do with each track. Um, you know, here in China, for example, we try and use the, the enormous grandstand buildings as much as we can to kind of make something different out of it. So each, each person has a different feeling, but definitely one of them is you want to add as much, you know, emotion and you want to put you know, make the cars look like they're going as fast as they actually are. And the way you do that is through panning um, and, and using, you know, different shutter speeds to achieve the effect that you want to, depending on, you know, where the sun is and, you know, the colors and the grandstand and what you have to work with. It, it's really a, a moving target that you never really, you're never really satisfied with what you've done until, you know, you do it the next time. And even then, it's not quite what you want it to be. Um, so I thought that was a great question, though. And the part two to that was, how do you pan? Um, you know, somebody else asked that. And it's it's difficult. It takes a lot of practice and a lot of work and just more practice, practice, practice. The best thing you can do to, to figure it out is to put your camera on manual and then walk down to the street or to a local racetrack and, you know, slow down the shutter speed, get it, get it as low as you feel comfortable, and then maybe a little bit lower to where you don't feel comfortable, and just practice following the cars, taking the picture as you do it. And what happens is the, the background will blur out, and the car will remain somewhat in focus or completely in focus, depending on how fast the shutter speed is or how slow the shutter speed is. It's, it's, you know, there's a whole triangle of things you can do to, to make an interesting image using shutter speeds. But it is something you'll see a lot of photographers do. You know, we'll, we'll really play with some slow shutter speeds. And you get some cool colors, and you get a lot of cool leading lines, and um, the car looks like it's going a million miles an hour. It, you know, it, it really makes for a dramatic image. But it is not easy. It, it really, you know, it takes a lot of work and a lot of experience to, to get used to doing that. And um, doing it with a car going past you at 200 miles an hour it's it's not easy so you know the best thing i can recommend for for panning and learning to pan is is start with something that's a little easier to to you know shoot which is just a car going by on the highway because it's not really any different than an f1 car it's just an f1 car is moving a, a heck of a lot faster but anyway those were some great questions i really appreciate you all asking them um Feel free to keep bouncing me questions. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamie Price Photo. Um, J-A-M-E-Y-P-R-I-C-E-P-H-O-T-O, all one word. So, uh, you know, feel free to ask me anything you want. Um, you know, I love talking photography. I love talking racing um, as Lewis comes at me on his, on his bike. But 
you know, I really appreciate it. Um, and I hope you all enjoy the race. I think it'll be a really good one. You know, Lewis and Mercedes look really strong. It's, it's hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore what they're doing. But it is, it is good to see Red Bull and, and everybody else finally kind of picking up their game a little bit. But who knows how long the Mercedes domination will last. That, that engine is something special. But, um, yeah, hope you all enjoy the race, and uh, I will see you all in Monaco. Can't wait. Uh, I mean, if there was only one race you could go to every year, of course it has to be Monaco. So we're super excited about that. And Yeah, and having, you know, as he says, never shot it professionally, I think that'll be exciting for him as well to go and see what oh, it looks yeah. like on the ground uh, and, you know, with camera in your hand and, and so and on. speaking of pictures, I mean, check out jamiepricephoto.com. Uh, I mean, there were some really cool shots, um, of course, as he always does. Again, there were some really cool shots. The ones I liked the most, seen, he had some real cool individual um, during qualifying. And you could just see the massive clouds of spray that each individual, individual car shot up. And it was also cool. You could see, if you look closely, you could see a difference in lean from the different cars at different times, too. So it was cool. Um, very, very good stuff. So anyway, we have to move on and um, talk about predictions, I believe. Is that correct? That is correct. Oh, and you know what? That is correct, and I'm actually pretty okay with that today. I'm pretty okay with that. Yes, it is prediction time. And while I was not correct with my prediction, uh, oh. I was at least not so far off. It was not a crazy one. This was no no... You know, if like Hamilton had a, had a retirement or something, that would have been awesome for me as a Rossberry predictor for winner. Because <laughs> so many people went Hamilton, Hamilton. I mean, we are at that point in the season and the way things are going right now uh, that I think seventy five folks for this one, which is about basically half of those predicting, made the Ham Ham prediction. Um, oh, which jeez, wow! Right, and I don't think many people are going to have a reason to do anything else. I mean, that's sort of the thing. It's like, okay, yeah, that was fun for that one race. But, but this, is, this is the bigger gamble because we have, uh, we have a couple weekends off before we're racing again. It's Europe. So this is going to be probably the single biggest push, one of the single biggest push, pushes for development between what we've seen now and what the cars will be like going into the European, European swing of things. Right. So just to be clear, you had Hamilton Hamilton. Correct. Zero points. You yes. and 74 of your closest friends. Well, um, we get along. I, we think alike. I had uh, Hamilton Rosberg for one point, and I had quite a few other folks with me. Uh, I mean, I, you know, there was there was a bunch of us. You have to go back down to 107th place is where Damien is, <laughs> who thought it was going to be Rosberg for pole position and then Hamilton for the win. And obviously that was uh, a bit farther off with Rosberg, as you say, qualifying fourth. So three points for them and, and on downward. And honorable mention for the last place of anyone predicting, Craig the Kilt Wilson going Magnuson, Magnuson, which in this case <laughs> met 26 points. Hey, um, I, I, I credit his, his belief in McLaren, his undying love for McLaren. And uh, you got to you got him get him give him credit for that. All right, and so shout outs to the top three folks. There's three people that only have one point: Anshaw, Craig Rose, and Jamie Bell. And I I have to imagine, what do they do for Australia? And then they've pretty much been Hamilton Hamilton since. That's... Yeah, so they must have just gone awesome for Australia. And uh, without looking back, I well I guess it's actually not that hard to find. Um, Hamilton Rosberg uh, must have been because a couple people were on zero points for a while. So yeah, there were actually 27 people that, that went zero points for Australia. Went to Hamilton Rosberg. So you and I predicted 
way earlier in the season. Yes. Um, so eh, whatever. It is what it is. We, we've had a good time. But in the overall predictions rankings, um, neither of us are on the first page. Uh, <laughs> I only moved up <laughs> by one point. So I am number 34 now with seven points for the season thus far. I, I feel feel okay about that. Um, going back a ways and more of a ways. You are 103. You, sir, are, uh, I guess, I, well, I guess you are already ahead of Damien. But you've got 25 points, which is really not that bad. But that puts you in 103rd spot. We've got so many people predicting now. And also, it's gotten sort of predictable that a lot of people are predicting very well. <laughs> Damien, the spreadsheet, though, is 117. So score one for Team Human. That's that right. Our spreadsheet is 117th place out of 157 folks predicting. Um, and uh, And there you go. So... You saying uh, so? There's going to be upgrades. I think it's you know that's clear. Also, it's that's in Spain, right. and that's there is right. a Formula One driver from Spain. His name is Fernando Alonso. That's also accurate. And there's a new boss man at Ferrari, and he's not maybe, the same as the old boss. Right. Don't go the who on this. And one. he may he may actually go to his team this you know the coming two weeks and saying, hey guys. Let's try for first. I mean, he may have come up with that. I don't, I don't know if he's had that idea or not. Oh my God! This is this is the out of the box thinking. If that he listens needs. to our show, maybe he would. He would be like, "Wait, oh my God, we can do that." You could you could try for that. So I don't know. I mean, I I don't think that Ferrari's going to win. But what do you what do you what are you thinking there? Well, of course, I'm going to stick with Hamilton. Hamilton. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm just saying that to be you know saucy. And uh, but listen. It's not that Mercedes is ahead. It's that they are way ahead. I mean, they've got two strong drivers in uh, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton could arguably be the one with the most natural speed on the grid since Ayrton Senna. That's arguably. I'm not saying that for certain. Um, And the teams, they've just got lots and lots and lots of... of, uh, of, uh, comfort of a breathing room you know what i mean um so i don't know i don't know how you argue with that so yeah you could shake things up and go rossberg something um but uh, uh, uh. all right well so you're you're agreeing with the uh the spreadsheet on this one and yes. thinking okay he was on pole last time he's gonna be on pole again and he won last time so he's gonna be on on the win again as they say yes nobody says on that. the win again on the win again uh, I think Kimi Raikkonen is going to turn it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, I kind of do want to go Ross Reed because the thing is, uh, you know, strategizing here for a second. Um, I, I don't think anyone else is is uh, has a good enough chance to win that it's worth putting in for prediction. Yes, we could have a Vettel victory. We could have a Ricardo victory. You know, we could have these different things happening. But, uh, you know, all signs point to it being a Mercedes guy. And just if... If, you know, Hamilton has a puncture or a car failure or gets in a crash or something like that, imagine all the people that are going to get hit points. You know, 75 folks from this last race, probably even more next time. What if what if they're all hosed and I'm not? So I'm, I'm actually going to go Rosberg, Rosberg. Um, and I could get hosed, of course, and maybe everyone else just gets zero points. But I think that that might be interesting. And uh, I'm actually, you know, between you, me, and the spreadsheet, I'm actually leading right now. So I've yes, got you, you, the most to lose, but I feel like um, – I don't know. I feel like it could be interesting, and uh, maybe Hamilton will have a problem. Maybe I will just clean up, and you and that spreadsheet are going to go down. <laughs> uh, I feel I feel the pressure, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with it. Listen, we're doing something we haven't been able to do often enough. We're going to enjoy a taste of the race. We're going to get some, some proper Chinese food. I don't know about proper, but we're well, going to get some Chinese food. Well, it's, it, it's going to say Chinese somewhere yes. in the restaurant. There you go. Yes. 
So I am looking forward to that. Uh, thank you, as always, to Jamie Price Photo. Um, I just put photo as just part of his name. I mean, it pretty much is. What's <laughs> his website and his Twitter handle? Thank you to Jamie Price Photo. Well, Make yes. sure to go to his uh, website, Jamie Price Photo at Photo. Photo. Yes, as I said, thank you, Jamie Price Photo, for your lovely photos and being part of our show and uh, being our pit reporter. Uh, we will, of course, uh, hear more from him in Monaco. Um, and we do mean in Monaco, not like us when we're like, oh, we'll see you from Spain. And like, we're not going to be in Spain. No, we're not going to be no. in Spain. Every we're once not going to be in Monaco. We, right. <sighs> yeah, you have a tough life, huh? No, uh, listen, you, we, you and I, we go places, but we don't go to the places we really should be going. Well, you're going to be racing that weekend. I mean, it could be worse. Just not, no, not in I'm Spain. Not, no, no, but... no, no. That's not true. I'm not going to be racing. I'm, oh. But I am uh, – I'm signed up. I'm doing something uh, that I haven't done in 11 years, which is a racing school. So I'm going to uh, Skip Barber's two-day advanced racing school. And this is kind of like – so uh, we've talked about my injury a little bit on the show. And obviously, Jim, you know about it. But this is – I'm finally getting to my therapy. This is the therapy I think I need. Uh-huh. Uh, there's physical therapy, there's occupational therapy, and then there's lap time therapy. Exactly. It's exactly. So I'm just trying to – I'm shaking off the rust, as it were, but I'm trying to make sure that I'm doing it in in the correct ways, not learning bad habits and ah. things like that. So, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope to uh, I hope to race sometime in the not-too-distant future. Well, that's cool, though. So, so either way, we'll, we'll figure out exactly what we'll have for coverage for you uh, of the Spanish Grand Prix and, and there again. Um, but uh, visit funwithcars.com. Uh, yes. That is a place where you can leave comments for us. You and can... that is not a name. Well, it is a name. It's the name of our website. Oh, dang it. Yeah, see? Um, oh, if only Jamie Price photo had told me. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, I know. Um, and, uh, you know... Anyway, funwithcars.com. <laughs> I threw Jim off. There are... I, I, I count that as a win. And there you go again. <laughs> From our website, you can find links to our Facebook page, oh, our Twitter feed, our you? YouTube feed. Lovely. Now you're just going back. See, I'm thinking mutilated chicken, but marinated chicken <laughs> sounds so much better to me. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe, uh, maybe the Chinese we're going to have that's very authentic will have some marinated chicken that you can enjoy. There you go. Savor it. I will look forward to that. And before I, we toss it, I've got one, this, a new feature, Jim's last word. And in this case, the last word is about the sounds of the cars. I today had conducted a very scientific survey. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Of a four-year-old. This is more than a word. This is several words. Jim's last several words. <laughs> That's what the feature is called. Okay. Brought to you by Jamie Price Photo. Um, so, okay, so oh. this, this is my nephew. He's four years old. He, was very, he likes race cars. He likes trains. He likes all kinds of fun things. Oh, he was well, watching if he likes race. race cars and trains, that's ironclad. But it is. <laughs> but the point is, he's, he's not, you know, a, a product of the, uh, of the V10 era. He's not always like, oh, yeah, Formula 1 used to be cooler. No, you know. he, he, he literally was born... After the V10s were gone, right. wasn't he? Yeah. Right. So anyway, um, and I, I said, oh, man, Henry, you know, you're enjoying this race. You know, do, do these race cars sound cool? And he says, yes, which I think tells you, you know, that the race cars on the whole are not a bad sounding thing. It's only people that really uh, like the, um, you know, that have nostalgia for the old way they used to sound and so on. I think he, that he, he thought you might be giving him a cookie no, if he said yes. But then his reasoning, he said, yes. Because they have shooters on the on top of the drivers' heads, <laughs> so maybe he wasn't quite on right. board with because the air intakes you know, and how they all work. But he's four year old, so there you go. <laughs> Point is, the cars sound awesome, and I am Jim Lau. 
you, I, you are Jim Blau, and you are amazing. Hats off. My hat is still on, but theoretically, it goes off for you. And uh, you continue to be Jim Lau. I will very humbly be Robin Warner. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to talk to you when we cover Spain. <laughs>